This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and the UFC Fight Night card featuring Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Kevin Holland is ahead of us. The PFL season is behind us. We had the PFL championships just this past weekend, and it was a, a really good card. I mean, I, I know that uh, a lot of people were unwilling to shell out the uh, 50 bucks, but at the same time, I thought that the card did deliver if you did get an opportunity to watch it. So uh, the PFL championship, like I mentioned, now behind us, and we have new champions in every division. So we'll go over that card, and we will preview UFC Fight Night Thompson versus Holland, which is, uh, like I mentioned, this Saturday, the precursor to UFC 282. And uh, we have some pretty big news on that front as well. And by the time you've heard it, I'm sure you'll be well aware of it, but we will uh, touch on that as well. But why don't we start off with the, uh, the PFL finals, the championships, which ended with a big main event featuring Kayla Harrison, who has won every single women's lightweight championship tournament to date, taking on Larissa Pacheco, a former finalist in the tournament, and uh, last year missed weight during the tournament and was eliminated for that reason, but only has three losses on her record, or sorry, uh, three opponents who have beaten her prior to this particular championship, all of which became future champions. You have uh, Jessica Andraj, Jermaine Durandame, that was during her UFC stint, she did also lose an exhibition bout to Macy Chase on uh, to get into the Ultimate Fighter, uh, or on the Ultimate Fighter, rather, but uh, that is not part of her official record. So you've got Jessica Andrade, Dur- uh, Jermaine Durand, she lost to them when she was, I believe, 20 and 21, respectively, so early in her career, back when she was fighting at 135 pounds, was then on the Ultimate Fighter at 145 pounds, and since then has gone to the PFL, and at 155 pounds only has had two losses, both of which have come to Kayla Harrison by unanimous decision. One in a three-round fight and one in a five-round fight, which was the finale of the 2019 season. There was no 2020 season, and like I mentioned, eliminated in the 2021 season playoffs as a result of missing weight. This time around, nobody listened to me. Everybody mocked me when I said, this version of Larissa Pacheco can give Kayla Harrison some trouble. And I was vindicated on Friday night when Larissa Pacheco defeated Kayla Harrison by a unanimous decision, 48-47 on all scorecards. Every round scored the same by the judges, and I believe scored correctly by the judges. This was a great fight. So all of a sudden, people are now talking about Kayla Harrison, never any good to begin with, overrated. You do realize she's a two-time judo gold medalist. Like, it's not like she came into MMA with zero credentials. She's the only female to win a gold medal, and might be the only person to win a gold medal, mind you, for the USA, and did it twice, four years apart. As is, of course, tradition with the Summer Olympics. But it's not like she came into MMA with zero pedigree. Like It's not like she was beating people as a result of just being a natural mixed martial artist. Like She has been working since being a child at becoming a world-renowned judoka, brings those skills over to MMA, and was dominating, had not lost a round, was beating almost everybody in the first round of her matchups. And now suddenly, everyone says, oh, she was overrated. I mean, it's hard to be overrated when you've won two gold medals in the Olympics, right? Like, 
in a discipline that translates to mixed martial arts, especially in a division where it's not really established. Like 155 pounds is not an established division. The PFL brought in talent to try to beat Kayla Harrison, to try to hang with Kayla Harrison. They, they tried to transition Clarissa Shields into MMA so that eventually she could be the one that maybe could compete with Kayla Harrison. In fact, I think that was probably their hope was just to find someone who could compete with her to make it for an interesting fight with Kayla Harrison. And we just saw incremental gains from Larissa Pacheco, who's now 28 years old, entering her prime, has been a mixed martial artist for upwards of a decade as well. I mean, like I mentioned, started in the UFC when she was like 20. So it's not like she's a rookie to mixed martial arts. She's been training hard herself for many years. But it seems like the knee-jerk reaction from at least those that are loud on Twitter, because a lot of people are saying, oh, real mixed martial arts fans aren't like this. Well, if you're on social media and you're spending all of your time on social media talking about mixed martial arts, I would consider that to be a mixed martial arts fan. At least somebody who's enthusiastic about the sport. So this might be the echo chamber of Twitter that I'm diving into and I'm seeing a lot of negativity. At the same time, maybe there are just a lot of people that like a lot of tweets and they they don't talk and they don't want to be heard. They don't care about being loud. But it seems like the general consensus that I saw around this fight was that heading into it, this was another can. This was a can that Kayla Harrison's going to crush. She's a can crusher. But then, when that same athlete who you called a can beats Kayla Harrison, she was never any good to begin with. So what does it matter? It's just a very confusing mindset that people have where it's like, rather than giving Larissa Pacheco her flowers and saying, this is somebody who worked really hard to beat an athlete who had proven to be an elite athlete by winning two Olympic gold medals. Instead, they're trying to dismiss her and dismiss Harrison. Why can't they both be great mixed martial artists? Why can't that be the mentality where you have somebody like Kayla Harrison, who's worked so hard to become an Olympic gold medalist, now working just as hard in mixed martial arts because I'm sure she doesn't want to get hurt. She doesn't want to lose. And then people get mad that she's talking about how, how she can beat Cyborg, how she can beat Amanda Nunes. You don't think that that's like a mentality that an Olympian would have? That somebody who has conquered the entire world in her weight class in judo wouldn't have the mindset of like, oh, I can beat anybody in the world. Because she's done it. She beat everybody in judo. So she's supposed to be like, well, ah, they'll probably beat me. If somebody asks her, do you think you can beat Chris Cyborg or beat Nunes? Kayla Harrison, she's, yeah. Yeah, you know what? They'd probably demolish me. They'd annihilate me. They were great. I'm not any good. I, I just started. I just started mixed martial arts a couple of years ago. Like, that's, that's how she should respond? Like, people are getting mad that she thinks she can beat people? Like, isn't that the spirit of competition? To be the best? To create a legacy? To prove that you're the best in the world? That's what her goal is. So for her to not say that, I think would be shortchanging herself. And then, anytime anybody asked leading into this tournament about Larissa Pacheco, and sure, she did dismiss her and say, you know, it's not really a rivalry if you haven't beaten me for a single round, but she did say in multiple interviews, Larissa's good. Larissa could probably beat everybody in the world outside of me. Do I think Larissa Pacheco could hang with Chris Cyborg? I do. Will we ever see it? Who knows? But I've been saying this leading up to this tournament as well. Larissa Pacheco has gotten really good. She's gotten a lot better. She's got a lot of the different things 
that could spell a fighter like Kayla Harrison. She's a good grappler. She's not fantastic. She's not, you know, world-class, but she's certainly good enough to stuff takedowns when needed. She's good enough to throw submissions at her opponent, make her opponent think she's good at scrambling. And then she's got the great equalizer, which is power. Because if you're tagging someone on the feet and you're hitting them with big shots, and Kayla got hit with big shots, then the takedowns are going to be a lot more predictable. You're going to know when a takedown is going to get shot. If you hit somebody with a big shot and their bread and butter is grappling or judo, you know what's coming. Carol Harrison is not going to get into a fire fight with you. So Larissa Pacheco fought a really good game plan. Early on in that first round, she got taken down by a really, really beautiful trip and stayed on her back and lost that round. And I think a lot of people thought the writing was on the wall. You know, the PFL shows the live odds during the fight. I think Kayla Harrison at that point was like minus 3,000 or something along those lines. I think people thought it was just going to be a foregone conclusion. And if Kayla was able to do it, I mean, then Kayla's definitely that good because Larissa looked fantastic. Five straight first-round knockouts leading into this fight. So rather than dismiss Larissa Pacheco and say, well, Kayla Harrison was never any good to begin with, then why can't we praise them and be excited about a rematch? Because we know that Kayla Harrison comes in with all the credentials. If you want to ignore them, you can ignore them. But with Larissa Pacheco, she's been doing this for a long time and has looked great outside of her fights with Harrison leading up to this. And now, like I mentioned, entering her prime, 28 years old, this was her time. This was her time to shine. And I don't know what happened to Kayla Harrison prior to this because she was on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani in studio and talking about how you know, life is precious and she was going through a lot of different health issues. And then when she was asked about it after the fight, she says, I'm not here to make excuses. If you haven't watched that post-fight uh, press conference with Kayla Harrison, I urge you to do that because she didn't make any excuses. She says, this is what life is about. Life is about trials and tribulations. Life is about losing and then getting better from those experiences. This was a teachable moment, not just for her, but for her family that were there, for her kids. She wants to show them that even though she lost, she can now bounce back from this. She can get better from the experience. She can learn from it. And that's what a great sportsman does. That's why so many people turned on Ronda Rousey, because Ronda Rousey ran from the adversity. She wouldn't go and talk to the media afterwards. She still hasn't talked about it. Like, have you heard any interviews where she talks about her MMA career anymore? Like, ever? And people were quick to dismiss Rousey as soon as she lost. As if she wasn't smoking absolutely everybody in the first round. The division caught up. Everybody was training for Ronda Rousey. They knew what Ronda Rousey was great at. And Holly Holm figured it out. She figured out the puzzle. Not, and Holly Holm's been a combat sports athlete for mo- most of her life as well. And then Amanda Nunes got into her prime and destroyed Ronda, who at that point was kind of broken going into that fight anyways. Like, I don't think a lot of people... I mean, Ronda was the favorite, so I can't say that nobody thought she was going to win that fight. But I don't think a lot of people were surprised by Amanda Nunes winning that fight. Maybe not in the fashion that she did, because that was a, a, a complete domination in that fight. But because Ronda ran away and, and didn't address it, people kind of dismissed her career, which I think is unfair. Like, Ronda Rousey had that Mike Tyson effect, and people will scoff at me for saying that, but she was going in, and everybody was like, how quickly is she going to beat this next opponent? How many seconds is it going to take Ronda Rousey? Will this opponent last a minute with Ronda Rousey? Like, if you weren't 
there during that time, you might not understand what it was like to watch a Ronda Rousey fight. She had that aura about her, the same kind of aura as an Anderson Silva had when he walked to the cage in his prime. It was like... And people forget, Ronda was like a minus 800 favorite against Holly Holm, right? Like, the expectation was, in front of a stadium in Australia full of people, that she was just going to flip Holly Holm onto her back and get an armbar on her, and it was going to be lights out. It's going to be tap-tap, like it had been in all of her fights prior to that. So we shouldn't dismiss the, the career of Ronda Rousey. She had one of the great careers in mixed martial arts until she lost. And people do the same with Connor. Like, Connor's overrated. Connor's 145-pound run is up there with anybody's. It's up there with, like, Volkanovsky's. The way that he was beating people. And people dismiss it like it never happened. Like, there was this incredible aura around McGregor as well. I mean, look at how many pay-per-views he sold with Floyd. That wasn't because he was not a good fighter. He was an elite fighter at 145 pounds for a time. And if you look at the top five featherweights of all time, he's there. You've got your Volkanovskis. You've got your Holloways. Of course, Jose Aldo. And then I'd probably put Patricio Pitbull in there as well. And then I'd say Connor's right there. The way that he ran through the division, it was like the way he knocked out Dustin Poirier in the first round. Knocked out Chad Mendez on short notice against a completely different stylistic matchup. I mean, people dismiss him now. Like, he's, he was never any good. It's this knee-jerk reaction that we have to seeing great athletes fall. But that's part of life. Not just sports. Part of life. Eventually, it'll catch up with you. That's just the way it is. And then there are the rare anomalies. Like, your George St. Pierre didn't leave undefeated, but, like, went on an incredible run and then retired at the top. Khabib went on an incredible run, 29-0, retired. We'll see that from time to time. But we also have to remember, these guys retired like in their prime. Like Khabib and GSP were both 32 when they walked away. I know GSP came back for one last hurrah against Michael Bisping, who was an older opponent who he felt that he matched up well against and obviously ended up matching up well against. If I recall, Bisping won that first round. But be that as it may... Like, GSP is not everybody. GSP's approach to his career was very smart. Got hurt badly by Hendricks. A lot of people thought he lost that last fight to Johnny Hendricks. And said, now's my time to step away. This is too much for me. He knew the pressure was going to catch up with him. And that's what a lot of it is. A lot of it is the pressure that a lot of these athletes put on themselves and that the public put on them as well. To be great. And they know that all of the rest of the field are just trying to figure out ways to beat them. So I think in this instance with Kayla Harrison, where she was running through absolutely everybody, everybody dismissed her opponents all the way along. This is, she's a can crusher. That's what it is. They dismissed her opponents. And then when one of those same opponents come back and, comes back and beats her, then nobody was any good to begin with. It doesn't make any sense. So hopefully the PFL were able to build something from this, because I think with them trying to build a pay-per-view division starting next year, they're going to need big fights. And I think that this rematch is a big fight. Unless people have lost interest. Unless people are going to convince themselves that neither of them are any good. And then they're just going to do themselves a disservice. Because that fight was a great fight. Like, not like Kayla Harrison got demolished in that fight. Kayla Harrison was one round away from winning that fight. Like, if she would have won the fifth round, and she did well in the latter half of that round, 
could have won that fight and then nobody would be talking about this. They'd be talking about how she finally faced some adversity. But this time, instead of just facing adversity, she lost. So let's see where she goes from here. Let's see where the PFL goes from here. But at the same time, let's not dismiss Kayla Harrison when she loses and, and say that she was never any good. Let's not dismiss Chris Cyborg when she loses to Amanda Nunez. And now Nunez is anointed as the GOAT. And then when Nunez loses to Pena, then Valentina is anointed the GOAT, even though Nunez beat Valentina twice. It's all crazy. And now Nunez is the GOAT again because she beat Pena. Like, it's just a very fickle, knee-jerk, recency bias approach to greatness. And it sucks. Let's just call it out for what it is. We don't appreciate these athletes when they're at their best and when they're dominating and when they're, they're doing things that we think to be unreal at the time. And then when they're proven to be human because the pressure catches up with them or because someone get, hits them with a big shot like we just saw this year with Michelle Pajera, uh, sorry, Alex Pereira and Israel or Edwards and Usman. Like we can't dismiss their careers. Usman was, was cruising in that fight before he got caught. And then what happens if Volkanovsky goes up a weight class and loses to Islam, and Islam tosses him around because he's a smaller opponent, and he's able to hold him down? Are we going to dismiss Volkanovsky? Are we not going to say he's, he's no longer the greatest or one of the greatest featherweights of all time because he lost at lightweight? Yeah, I, I just don't get it. But at the same time, congratulations to Larissa Pacheco. Big win over Kayla Harrison. I've had, I've had that rant bottled in all weekend, waiting to get it out. Hopefully I did it justice. But I think that we need to appreciate what Kayla Harrison's brought to the sport. She brings class to the sport. She brings an Olympic pedigree to the sport. She handles losing with grace. And then we also need to give Larissa, Larissa Pacheco the praise that she deserves for solving the puzzle. Let's bring some positivity to the table here. This was the main event of a pay-per-view. And I thought it delivered. And I thought the whole pay-per-view delivered. So if you were able to watch it and you decided to put your hard-earned money into uh, investing in watching this particular event, I don't think you left disappointed. There was one fight uh, on the main card that didn't necessarily deliver, but we'll get to that. Uh, Brendan Lochnane defeats Bubba Jenkins to win the Featherweight Championship tournament. Uh, tournament championship, and I guess the championship as well. I'm not sure I'm not sure if they want to, if the PFL considers the fighters champions. Like, once the next tournament starts, is it like, I don't know. Either way. He, he now has earned a million dollars, as of course did Larissa Pacheco. I should mention all the winners on this main card, save for a one non-title fight, all earned a million dollars with their wins. So congratulations to all of them. But man, Brandon Lochnane, every time he fights, he reminds me how good he is. I forget. It seems like I forget between fights. Because I thought Baba Jenkins was going to utilize his wrestling and, and make it a difficult night for Brendan Lochnane. But Lochnane, he's really well-rounded. He's good on the ground. He's a really good criteria fighter. And, uh, and Pacheco kind of had the same sort of deal in her fight. Always doing damage. Always being offensive. And that will win you rounds, even if they're rounds that, to the layman, it appears that you've lost because you've been on your back. Lochnane is always being offensive. When he's stuffing takedowns, he's hitting you with hammer fists. And uh, like I mentioned, Pacheco was kind of doing the same thing to Kayla Harrison. Was making it difficult for her to get takedowns by utilizing her weaponry to stuff the, not just stuff the takedown from you know a technical standpoint, but also using her striking 
to make it difficult to get the takedown as well. And then if the takedown gets landed, continuing to use your striking off for back. That kind of stuff scores with judges. But yeah, Brendan Lochnin just outclassed Bubba Jenkins. Uh, that was a uh, one-sided performance. And what I'd like to see is if, I don't know what, if his visa issues have been sorted out because he didn't compete at all this year. But Movlet Chaibulayev, who won the last tournament, I would love to see him and Lochnin, a, a rematch between them. Because I think that if he comes back, he'll probably be the favorite to win the tournament. But, I mean, Lochnin, I think, can hang with him. He, he looked really, really good in that fight. So congratulations to Brendan Lochnin on winning a million dollars. Ante Delizia was a big favorite and delivered against Mateus Scheffel. And Delizia is now a million dollars richer. He looked fantastic in that fight. Uh, that was pretty much one-way traffic. Aspen Ladd defeats Julia Budd. Bud posted on social media after the fact that she thought she won the second and third round. I would I would tend to agree with that. But it was a close, close fight. You know, you can't call this one a robbery by any means. But uh, Aspen Ladd gets her first PFL win in her first PFL fight. And uh, next year, I don't know if they're doing a featherweight tournament, but if they are, I expect Aspen Ladd to feature prominently in that. As the same with Julia Bud. Julia Bud looked really good in that fight. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was a really... It was a solid fight, a competitive fight, I'd say is probably the best way to put it, because I thought Julia Budd landed a lot of really good shots in the clinch. I thought Ladd, in open space, did a little bit better. But when uh, she was clinched up by Bud, Bud was using that Muay Thai clinch to land some big shots. So, very, very competitive fight. Canada has needed a win in MMA for some time. And Olivier Aubon Mercier delivered the goods by not just defeating Stevie Ray, but by overcoming early adversity. Stevie Ray had his back, won the first round, and then Oban Mercier lands a right hook out of absolutely nowhere to put Stevie Ray down and knock him out and come back to La Belle Provence with a million dollars and the lightweight tournament championship. So congratulations to Olivier. I mean, he's put so much work into his career training with, of course, the great George St. Pierre, who was there to support him. For as a hobby, of course, is uh, main coach Richard Ho, who uh, doesn't get a lot of the credit, but uh, isn't named quite as often, but has been very instrumental to the success of uh, Olivier Aubon Mercier. So congratulations to them. It was nice to see him and Stevie Ray after the fact. Stevie Ray had no idea what hit him. Like, came back to Olivier and was like, what happened? How did you beat me? And Olivier kind of showed him the right hook over the top. Stevie Ray was like, oh, man, you know, it's tough. But Stevie Ray had basically retired from MMA and all these injuries. Came back, looked great in the tournament this year. Beat Anthony Pettis twice. And then uh, loses in this kind of fashion when he was winning the fight um, in the first round. Aubon Mercier was winning the second round, I believe, to that point, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, irrelevant either way, as Aubon Mercier scores the knockout in the second round. His second knockout win. And his first, like, he was kind of explaining after the fact, this was like his first real knockout. Uh, Sadibu C defeats Delano Taylor to win the welterweight championship. This was a really ho-hum fight. I mean, it was very technical. And if you saw what Eric Nixick, the coach for C, wrote on uh, social media after, he said, hey, it's a million dollars. you got to fight smart. And you can't fault, fault him for that. Not every fight can be exciting. But, uh, hey, if you said to somebody, you can have a really exciting fight and maybe win a million dollars or fight really safe and really smart and definitely win a million dollars, probably taking the latter. So congratulations to C on his uh, welterweight tournament championship. Anthony Delano Taylor, who was a challenger series fighter who made his way into the tournament and made it to the finale. So he, I think, still has a bright future ahead of him as well. 
In the light heavyweight division, Rob Wilkinson just destroys Omari Akhmedov probably two 10-8 rounds before the doctor spares Akhmedov any further damage because uh, Akhmedov has a great chin and was taking some massive shots from Wilkinson. Two former UFC middleweights in the finale of the light heavyweight tournament. But Rob Wilkinson has uh, really improved since his days in the UFC. And, uh, you know, similar to Larissa Pacheco, just a lot of improvement. And uh, he brings home the goods, the million dollars. The prelims were uh, very interesting. The biggest surprise was Shaman Marais coming back out of nowhere to defeat Marlon Marais. Marlon had those two first rounds in, in the bag easily and was landing big shots on Shaman. This is a rematch from, I think it was like eight or nine years ago when they fought in the World Series of Fighting. For, you know, the PFL formerly known as the World Series of Fighting back when Marais was defending the Bantamweight Championship. This one at Featherweight and Shaman Marais comes from behind to knock out Marlon Marais now. What's next for Marlon Marais? I don't know. I'm sure he's getting paid good money from the PFL and I, I imagine he'll try to be in the tournament next year. But, you know, when, when this guy gets touched, it seems like he's going out. And uh, you hate to see that from a guy who was as talented as Marlon Marais and still is as talented as Marlon Marais just happened to get caught. And uh, he's got to fight basically a perfect fight in order to get wins now, it seems. So we'll see uh, what happens next year if he decides to enter the tournament, which I believe he will. Natan Schultz defeats Jeremy Stevens. Really nice arm triangle choke. He kept getting Stevens in, in a variety of chokes, and Stevens kept escaping. But uh, in the second round, it was so tight that uh, he got the tap from Jeremy Stevens. And George St. Pierre was in the announce uh, booth for that one, and he sounded good. Like he, he was really good at breaking it down technically. It's hard to work with a four man booth, and they did it with George, and uh, it actually sounded pretty good. So kudos to them. Magomed Magomed Karimov uh, defeats Gleason Tebow handily, 30 27 on all scorecards. Uh, Dakota Decheva, big prospect for the uh, PFL, scores a first-round knockout, as did Biagio Ali Walsh, a uh, friend of the program, has been on the show, and uh, he knocks out uh, Tom Gracer 45 seconds into the fight. So that is your PFL Championship recap. And we move on to the UFC having an event this coming Saturday. Thompson versus Holland. So Kevin Holland is a small favorite, minus 136 over Wonderboy, who's plus 108. This is an interesting fight. Tough one to break down because I'm not sure if Kevin Holland is going to be able to solve the Wonderboy puzzle. I feel like it's a very difficult ask to defeat a guy like Wonderboy Thompson. Kevin Holland has shown a lot of great striking diversity, good length, and Wonderboy has also seemed to be slowing down a little bit. I mean, if you look at Wonderboy's recent resume he's lost two in a row but to two of the top guys in the division Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns and just two years ago beat Jeff Neal who's coming back on as well as Vicente Luque three years ago so if you're looking at his resume I mean he's two and four in his last six but he's facing really tough guys the Darren Till fight a lot of people thought was uh should have gone Wonderboy's way it was also a fight where Till missed weight the Anthony Pettis fight was weird. It's the only time Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's been finished in a fight. Got knocked out by Pettis using a Superman punch off of the cage. And uh, really tough loss for him, but he bounced back. He beat Vicente Luque again. Top top 15 guy. Jeff Neal, top 10 guy. Beat those two guys by unanimous decision. And then lost two decisions to Gilbert Burns and Bala Muhammad, who implemented a mostly grappling-based game plan in order to beat him. 
I don't know if Kevin Holland is going to be able to implement such a game plan. And if this fight is on the feet, there haven't been a lot of fighters, save for like an Anthony Pettis, that have been able to beat Wonderboy on the feet. So that's what makes this such an interesting fight. Personally, I think that uh, Wonderboy as an underdog is probably the, the better play here from a betting standpoint. Rafael Dos Anjos, a minus 500 favorite against Brian Barberena at plus 340. Whew, this line's moved. What did this open at? Open, yeah, minus 325 was the opener on this one for, for Dos Anjos. So a lot of steam has come in on the Rafael Dos Anjos side. It's a tough one because it's a three-round fight, right? I think that Dos Anjos, if he utilizes more of a uh, grappling game plan, should have this one easy. But these days on the feet with Barberena, just anything can happen with this guy. That's a brawler. But uh, I think... Dos Anjos, more often than not, wins this fight. So, let's see how it plays out. But, uh, yeah, Barbarena is is tough. Tough, tough fight for anybody. So, seeing him with that big of a price tag next to his name seems like a lot of value. But at the same time, we know how good Dos Anjos is. Former champion of the lightweight division. Has also done pretty well when he's fought in the uh, welterweight division. So, let's see how that one plays out. That's a... A tough ask for Brian Barberena, but at the same time, it's, uh, he's never really shied away from tough competition. Sergey Pavlovich, a minus 192 favorite. Tied to Ivasa, plus 148. This is going to be a tough matchup for Tied to Ivasa, in my opinion. I think that Pavlovich's reach is going to be a massive issue for Tuivasa. But we've seen with Tuivasa before. He's got a great chin, and with him, all it takes is one big shot. If he can land it, he can put anybody out, so... Volatile fight, I think, either way for these two uh, individuals. Um, but I, I understand why Pavlovich is favored. Mateus Nikolaou is a big favorite over Matt Chanel. Minus 370 for Nikolaou. Chanel plus 265. Uh, this, to me, is a dog or pass. Like, I, I think that Chanel showed how good he was. Uh, I believe he was in a losing effort in his last fight. Who did he face in his last fight? Yeah, he fought uh, Sumaderji. That was, uh, sorry, in a winning effort. Against uh, Brandon Royval, he lost pretty uh, handily. But against Sumuderji, he was a pretty big underdog in that fight as well. And uh, came from behind. That was one of the uh, the fights of the year. Back in July. And uh, came came back. Massive comeback in that fight. Is Nikolaou really that much better than Sumuderji? I don't know. Uh, you know, there's some MMA math there. I mean, I think if it gets to the ground, Nikolaou's going to have an advantage. But I think on the feet, Chanel might have uh, a pretty good advantage. And he's also shown that he's pretty good on the ground as well. So he's a he's a plus two sixty five favorite uh, underdog here, roughly the same as against Sumaderji. He was plus two twenty five as a closer. So um, I think that uh, this is going to be an interesting one. I think that it's dog or pass in my opinion. Kyle Dawkins minus two fifteen. Eric Anders plus one sixty four. This is a really tough one as well because Anders is a tough guy to get to the ground, and I think that on the feet, Anders might actually have an advantage here against Kyle Dawkins. I think Dawkins is a really really tough fighter, but has Eric Anders ever been submitted? Because that's always the best path to victory for Kyle Dawkins. I'm going to take a look here because I don't know if he has. Yeah, one submission loss. So who's the submission loss to? It was, oh, an armbar to Andre Muniz. I mean, Andre Muniz is kind of a different level than a lot of the fighters. No disrespect to Kyle Dawkins because Dawkins is excellent with submissions. But if you look at the middleweight division, if you're going to ask who the best submission practitioner is, Andre Muniz, I think, is a slam dunk. So this is an interesting one from that vantage point. Um, Eric Anders lost to uh, Jun Young Park by split decision in his last fight. That was a close fight. And lost to Andre Muniz. He was lost two in a row. 
let's see how he does in this fight against Dawkins. Um, another one might be a dogger pass or a total pass. I think that price tag on Doc is a little bit too high. Uh, Jack Hermanson is a minus 166 favorite against Roman Delizze, who's plus 130. Tough ask for Delizze on short notice, but Delizze looks fantastic in his last fight. And, uh, oof. I might take Jack Hermanson at minus 166, but I, it's hard to ignore how good Delizze has looked. That's a, a tough one. I need to think on that one a little bit more. Nico Price, minus 148. Phil Rowe, plus 116. I liked Phil Rowe here as an underdog. I think these guys might have trained together at some point in Orlando, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, that said, Phil Rowe, I think, is... Uh, he's an up-and-coming fighter that I think has looked pretty good thus far. Um, lost his UFC debut against Gabe Green, but uh, has gotten two TKO wins in a row against uh, Orion Koshi and... Or Koshi, I think it's pronounced. That's how he told me it was pronounced. And uh, Jason Witt. So let's see how Phil Rowe looks against Nico Price. Nico Price, I believe, has been absent for some time. His last fight was, yeah, October 2021 against Cowboy Oliveira. So he's been away for a minute. Usually a fairly active fighter. But uh, I, I would lean Phil Rowe here. I think he's uh, he's uh, has an upward trajectory right now. Still, he's 32 years old, so... I don't know how old is Nico. Nico is 33, so not that big of an age difference. I think Nico's got more miles on him, though. I'll take Phil Rowe, plus 116. Hot sauce, Scott Holtzman, back in action, minus 158. It's been a, a while since we've seen him in the cage. His last outing was April 2021, so yeah, a year and a half. He lost to Mateusz Gamrot. Back-to-back losses to Benil Dariush and Mateusz Gamrot. I mean, those are uh, pretty understandable losses. Now taking on Clay Guida, who's looked uh, pretty good in his later years. He uh, lost to Claudio Pueyes in his last fight, but uh, a win over Leonardo Santos a year ago. So, interesting one here. Um, yeah, this one's probably a stay away for me. I think that the price is probably about right here. If anything, there's a little bit of value on Clay Guida, but uh, I'll pass on this one. Emily Ducote, minus 140. Angela Hill, plus 110. I like Ducote here, uh, but Angela Hill is one of those fighters who just continues to prove people wrong when she's an underdog. Uh, win, big win over Lupita Godinez in her last fight, coming off of three straight losses to uh, Virna Jandiroba, Amanda Lemos in a split decision loss that I think a lot of people thought Hill won. Uh, I actually thought the Lemos won from a, a judging standpoint, a uh, criteria standpoint, and they lost to Tisha Torres by unanimous decision. So... Um, but Ducati has looked really good so far in her UFC career. A win over Angela Hill's, one of her best friends, Jessica Panay, in her last fight. And uh, that was her debut in the UFC. Looked really good in that fight. And uh, a win against Alicia Zapatella prior to that in the Strawweight Championship bout in Invicta earlier this year as well. So she's having a pretty big year. Yeah, I would lean Ducati at uh, minus 140 in that one. We've got Michael Johnson against Mark Daikizi. Daikizi minus 295. He's looked fantastic lately. Uh, Michael Johnson plus 220. The question is, is Daikizi going to go with a more wrestling-based game plan? Because Michael Johnson still has that uh, that firepower. But uh, I can understand why Daikizi is this big of a favorite. JSP, Jonathan Pierce, minus 500 against Darren Elkins, plus 340. Whew, if you can get Darren Elkins at plus 340, I think that's a dog or pass. I mean, I think Pierce has looked really good, but... Elkins and Pierce are very similar fighters stylistically. 
And uh, I think if it's up to get into grappling exchanges and things like that, like Elkins is going to be able to hang with him. I'll take the plus 340 there, the big underdog price on uh, Darren Elkins. The damage. Tracy Cortez is taking on Amanda Hibas. Is that on this card? Okay, I'm having trouble finding a line for that one. Oh, there it is. Hibas minus 125, Cortez minus 102. Uh, I would side with the uh, Hibas side here. Uh, it is a flyweight bout. Hibas has moved to flyweight for now. She says she's open to going back to 115, but uh, I think Cortez will have a bit of a size advantage, but I think Hibas, despite having a bit of a rocky road at uh, 125 pounds, I mean, in her first fight, had a split decision loss to Caitlin Chukagian, and uh, we all know that Chukagian is a pretty tough out in that division, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with Hibas here. I think, that actually, that price tag is quite good for her at a minus 125 price. Natan Levy is a minus 188 favorite against Gennaro Valdez. I think Levy wins this fight. I'll probably wait for some props to come out and look at the submission prop, but uh, don't have a, a real great read on that one. Uh, recently added Marcelo Rojo against Francis Marshall. I don't know enough about Marshall. Marshall's a minus 180 favorite. I'll have to look into him a little bit more. And then you've got Yasmin Jaregi against Estela Nunez. Jaregi is minus 370. Nunez plus 265. Is Estela Nunez who I think she is? Estela Nunez. No, she's a different fighter. I'm trying to remember which fighter. Uh, there's another Nunez, I believe is her last name, that looked. Uh, it's been looking good, but I can't remember what her uh, first name is. She's kind of a heavy hitter, stocky. I think her last name is Nunez. I get them confused, though. But uh, Jaregi looked fantastic in her debut. Minus 370 is a pretty big price, but uh, I can understand. I can rationalize it at least. Nunez coming off a loss to Sam Hughes in her last fight by majority decision. And Jaregi defeating Yasmin Lucindo in her debut, which was a really really solid fight between two, at the time, kind of lesser-known fighters. So that's UFC fight night. Thompson versus Holland taking place in Orlando, Florida at the Amway Center. So uh, the fight night cards are starting to go back on the road a little bit more. I'm eager to see how many fights are actually at the Apex next year. When I talk to Dana White next year, and we do, uh, sorry, I think actually next week, and we're going to be doing the odds game again. I certainly want to ask him about the uh, over-under fights at the Apex for next year. Let's see, uh, see if he tips his hat a little bit on that one. Or tips his hand. Tipping your hat is like a thank you, but tipping your hand is, uh, you know, showing... Showing off what uh, what might be coming up. And Dana White, he gives, gives me some breadcrumbs every now and then in those uh, odd segments. So I think, like I mentioned, we're going to have that uh, next year. Or next week, rather. For next year. So there you have it. That is UFC Fight Night. Now, there's been a, a fair bit of UFC news. One of the biggest stories of this past week, UFC 282 now features a light heavyweight bout for the championship, which has been vacated. Featuring Jan Bojovic taking on Magomed Ankolaev. Now, how did this come to be? Yuri Prokashka apparently just doing a, a regular wrestling drill at Extreme Couture. Planted his shoulder, his arm and his shoulder just blew out. Freak injury. So, he is going to be out for probably about a year, maybe more. As a result, vacated the title. Glover Teixeira was offered, according to Ariel Helwani, offered about against Ankalaev, said that he was unwilling to take a fight that was so stylistically different 
from Yuri on such short notice. Asked for Jan Blachowicz, who he's fought, fought and beaten and has trained for before. The UFC said, no, Inkalaev is the guy that we want in the main event. Glover ended up saying, pass. Tried to get the fight moved to next month, but obviously they needed a headliner for this card. Can't headline with Patty Pimblett against Jared Gordon, which is your co-main event. So they now have a title bout. Originally the co-main event on this card between Blachowicz and Inkalaev, now a five-round fight for the vacant light heavyweight championship. And uh, I think it's a, a really solid fight with uh, Ankalaev on such a big win streak, Blahovich being a uh, former champion, Ankalaev a minus 230 favorite. But I did a poll on Twitter and said, what's a bigger fight? Blahovich versus Glover or Blahovich versus Ankalaev? And 70% of the people said it was Blahovich versus Glover. So whether or not the UFC made the right move here, I don't know. But uh, it seems like they had their hearts set on Ankalaev competing for the title. And uh, as a result, Glover now off the card. Hopefully Glover gets to face the winner of this fight, gets a full camp in, and then when Yuri's ready to come back, he'll face the winner of that fight. It was weird. The UFC put out a press release about this fight and didn't even mention Glover. It was just like, Yuri's off the card. He's going to fight for the title when he's healthy. And this is the new main event. Glover was just not even mentioned. It's like as if he was never on the card to begin with. Show some respect to Glover Teixeira. I don't like that move at all. But uh, be that as it may, that's the way the cookie crumbled. And now we've got a new main event for UFC 282. With stakes being pretty high. But uh, that's a big blow to their end-of-year card. Because it wasn't a particularly strong card to begin with. It had some really good fights on it. But losing a fight of that caliber that was the fight of the year earlier this year. And then just taking the co-main event and just bumping it up to the main event. Not adding anything else. You know, that's a tough tough skating if you bought tickets to that card. But refunds are are available if you uh, are unhappy with how it shook out. This might end the sellout streak, though. I'm worried. I'm I'm interested to see if that's the case. But we'll see. Because uh, I don't know how many people are going to be lining up at the box office for this one now. Uh, that being said, I'm intrigued, and I think it's a good card from top to bottom. It's just tough to uh, basically remove the biggest fight on the card and then not add anything new. That said, two weeks. I mean, <laughs> it's not like the UFC had a ton of choices here. Like, what else are they going to add? You know, I suggested they add Spivak versus... Derek Lewis, if Lewis is healthy now, that fight was supposed to be the main event of the Fight Night card last weekend, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, fell off on fight day. Like, I'd, I'd give us a little something, you know, a little bit of a treat. But again, short notice, it was the week of Thanksgiving, hard to get these things done under those circumstances. But that is your new main event for UFC 282. And the other interesting story is Conor McGregor Basically explaining why he's not being tested by USADA. That he's not in the testing pool right now. And when he he, he needed, to re- needed to use, I guess, certain drugs to help him recover from his injury. That he feels like he's entitled to use. Now, I can't blame Connor for any of this. Because he's not the one tasked for anti-doping and transparency in the sport. That's USADA. And suddenly, Mark Raimondi asked the same question I asked. And now they've got an answer. Yeah, he's not, he's not being tested. I asked the same question. Oh, we can't disclose that. It's for, for privacy reasons. Well, so, suddenly you can. Like now, well, now all of a sudden it's cool. But either way, Connor has disclosed that he's not in the testing pool. It seems like he hasn't been for all of 2022. And says that he, you know, in February, he'll be ready to get back in. Very, very weird. Because according to the written guidelines for USADA, 
on paper. You can go and look it up online. Look up USADA UFC anti-doping policy. The only way you can be removed from the testing pool if you are a contracted athlete to the UFC, which Conor McGregor is, is you have to either retire, hand in written notice of retirement to the UFC. Um, and what was the other the other way? Oh, yeah, the other way is if you're just not under contract, if your contract expires. So technically, either McGregor is retired, like he handed in a notice of retirement, or they just made some sort of special circumstance for him. Because when I asked Usada about this, they responded and said, you have to either be retired, not under contract, or otherwise removed. And I said, otherwise removed. Where's that in the policy? Can you give me an example of what otherwise removed would mean? They're like, oh, just go look at the policy. It's not in the policy. It's not there. I looked. So I'm asking you these questions. So when you have the anti-doping control that's supposed to be transparent, making you run around in circles, doesn't seem very transparent to me. Seems to me that it's shrouded in secrecy, which is the opposite of what an anti-doping policy should be. If you want to have a clean sport and you want to be transparent about it, show some actual transparency and clarity. Because otherwise, what's the point? What's the point of investing in this policy if it's just going to have an opposite reaction from what you're saying it does? Like, can anybody just get out of the pool? I guess. I guess now they've set a precedent here. Can, like, Yuri Prokhaska just be like... And I'll give a shout-out to uh, Sasha, uh, one of my followers on Twitter who tagged me in this. But yeah, can Yuri just, like, bow out now and just say, peace, um, no thank you? I'm out. When I decide that I'm healthy again, I'll come back in. Doesn't have to retire. Remains in the rankings. Hmm. I don't know. Can any fighter just retire? Like any, I mean, if it's like a lower level fighter, I think if they retire, the UFC's not bringing them back. But if you're like, I mean, Henry Cejudo retired. Now he's coming back. But he has to test for six months before he can come back. But can, like, listen, we're, we're in an age where science is so advanced. Where if you are wanting to engage in some sort of doping program that's not going to be traced for a period of time, you can still make gains. So I don't know. I, I just, like, again, I have no issue with, like, what Connor's doing if he's being permitted to do it. It's more just that there's no real answers as to why. Like, it's seemingly as contrary to their policy. So why suddenly are we just allowing this to go down? It just seems very counterintuitive to the whole idea of why you implement an anti-doping program and why the UFC wants to tout having this program. I mean, hey, if it cleans up the sport, that's great. But transparency was supposed to be one of the big perks of having this program. You can go and check the testing registry. It's all out there. It's all open. That's how people noticed that this was happening in the first place. So it's just a very, very odd. Uh, One championship has an event uh, as well on Friday featuring a guy who a lot of people are talking about, myself you know, included, I've been talking about him for some time, Rainier de Ritter. If there's somebody you want to watch uh, right now that's in one championship, this is the guy. I think Rainier de Ritter gives a lot of different UFC middleweights a run for their money if he ever ends up in the UFC. This guy's really good. Really, really crafty grappler. So uh, check that out. That's on Amazon Prime if you uh, want to watch one championship on Friday night. But uh, I recommend it because Rainier DeRitter is looking like somebody to watch in uh, mixed martial arts. Very exciting fighter. And I think that's all for this week. Nothing else really going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Am I forgetting anything? I don't believe so. So uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, We will have interviews with the athletes uh, from the UFC Fight Night Thompson versus Holland card. 
a little bit later this week. You can find them at tsn.ca slash UFC. I might put together an interview edition for later this week. I just didn't want to keep this content uh, from getting out until like late Wednesday. So putting this out now. And if you'd like to check out the, that interview, any of my interviews, they're all at tsn.ca slash UFC. If you want to find any of my work, www.aaron.report. You can find uh, my link tree there with uh, all of my different social media platforms and uh, links to my work. So thank you for anybody who does that. And also, it's Cyber Monday. And uh, we've I'm, I've decided to extend the deal from Black Friday. If you go to wherever you get your podcast and leave a, a great review for the show, five-star review, write, write something nice about the show, next week's show, absolutely free. In fact, I'll even throw in this week's interview edition if that comes out as a podcast. That'll be free too. So take advantage now while supplies last. So uh, a big thank you to uh, you for tuning in. And if you do get a chance to rate and review the show, I do appreciate that. And to subscribe if... Uh, you're listening, uh, if you're listening on TSN Radio in Toronto or Ottawa, this uh, does have a longer form pop- podcast that uh, if you've enjoyed this abridged version of the show, you might enjoy listening to the podcast. So please feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're strictly a radio listener, thank you for continuing to tune in. Um, also, two weeks until the uh, Unified card in uh, Mississauga at the International Center, I will be uh, part of the broadcast team for that uh, particular card. So. Uh, that will air on UFC Fight Pass. Appreciate uh, them for giving me the opportunity and appreciate uh, TSN for giving me the opportunity to uh, work with them. I appreciate that as well. So that is Unified MMA. And uh, that is taking place in Mississauga on the 16th of December. Uh, I believe tickets are still available if you'd like to uh, buy tickets to that event. Solid card. Lots of uh, former UFC fighters on that card. Unified has uh, taken over in the, the regional scene in uh, in Canada, doing shows on the West Coast and the East Coast. So good on them. Love seeing their growth and uh, the growth of any grassroots mixed martial arts promotions in uh, this country. So thank you for tuning in. And uh, we will be back next week to preview UFC 282. So until then, be kind, be well. And be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.